health is about more than just staying fit. And with every year that goes by, I'm becoming more and more fascinated by how what we eat can impact our health and our potential, with a particular focus on gut health and the gut microbiome. It's not just what I eat either, it's how I eat too. It's all connected. That's why I've developed my own number one living drinks brand. Number One Living is based on this idea, the simple notion that by putting our well-being first and improving the quality of what we put into our bodies, we get more out of life. My range of kombucha drinks are full of bacterial life cultures, designed for a happy and healthy gut. They're sugar-free, vegan and naturally sourced, so you can feel great on the inside and enjoy life on the outside. Choose from refreshing raspberry, passion fruit or our award-winning ginger and turmeric kombucha. The number one living range is widely available in Sainsbury's, Holland and Barrett's and Boots stores and online at numberoneliving.com. Grab yours today. Okay, on with the show. Welcome to the I Am podcast, all about human potential. So we're back with the final episode of this third series of the I Am podcast and wow, they're really flying by. This week, we've got a brilliant guest interview to finish things off before we take that short break. It's with Liz Roberta, someone who has realized an awakening in her relationship with herself and her world and who now uses these revelations to coach in the spiritual field. Through her passion and her highest excitement, she's found a beautiful way to work and serve in her community. You can visit her website, lizroberta.com, to see how it is that she helps and guides people towards uncovering and following their own passions, towards overcoming trauma, struggles and limitations, and ultimately towards manifesting the kind of life that they wish to live. It's been a fabulous series uh, with amazing guests, and I've enjoyed it so, so much. I can't uh, impress upon you just how awesome it is to have this for me as my way of working and serving in the community. There is so much more coming next series. We're already on that journey, looking out for new contributors to all this information, to all this possibility. And we'd love to have your guidance on that too. So let us know if there's anyone out there that you think we should connect to, that we could benefit from exploring and we will get on it. As with anything you think about the podcast, we love being guided by you in that way too. So keep your contributions coming in. It's been fantastic. Can't wait to see you soon. Have an amazing Christmas. And from us, uh, thanks again. My name is Johnny Wilkinson. This is the I Am Podcast with Liz Roberta. Liz Roberta, wow, what a privilege. I'm really excited to welcome you to the I Am Podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much. I need to shout out my husband right now because he's a massive rugby fan. So he is so thrilled about this, as am I. So thank you for having me. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, this is a good start. We're off to a good start. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. So however, you're definitely going to be the main focus of this because I am fascinated by so much of your world, having had a chance to sort of understand a bit more of it, or at least have access to some of the things that you're writing and talking about and going through and everything. So I've got loads of stuff I want to talk to you about. And it's all about human potential. So first of all, I'm really excited and interested in what's your understanding of that? When I say that, what, what does it mean to you off the bat? Yeah, so I think we have a very similar view that humans are unlimited that these physical bodies we see as this kind of restraint, this thing that disconnects us from each other and from the physical world and from animals and from everything else and kind of cuts us off from our full potential because we're only these physical beings. We can only do so much. But I believe that we're this multidimensional 
self. We have many, many layers and ultimately everything is connected. So I've always kind of had this deep spiritual side to me ever since I was a young child and always had this connection. I've been fascinated by it, but then combining that with the fact that my human life, I, again, very similar to you, had this intense perfectionism and this drive for achievement. So I was always interested in potential in a physical sense and the pursuit of achievement while also believing on a soul level that we're limitless, we can do anything. So yeah, it's a topic that absolutely fascinates me. Wow. That's interesting. I had one of those bits when I was growing up. I'm not sure I had the other bit. So I had the <laughs> whatever I can achieve, how I can push the the limits of of anything physical. So when I said about human potential, the first thing that comes up or you would have come up in me, I'm sure when I was younger, was it was all doing. What can you do that's bigger, better, faster, stronger, purer? And I guess you need other people's opinions to decide that. But that was hugely where it sat for me. I didn't sort of have that. Oh, I don't know whether or maybe I did. Maybe a lot of the suffering I was going through was part of that spiritual connection. But tell me a little bit about that then. So when you said you had a bit of a spiritual side when you were younger, how did that manifest? Essentially just being very, very sensitive. I remember watching News Round. I don't know if you remember yeah, that program. I do very well. Yeah, I remember watching that and then walking into the kitchen and bawling my eyes out because there was this seal cull in Canada and anything like that. I was just so insanely triggered. And as I got older and I had the terminology for it, I realized, oh, I'm an empath, a highly sensitive person. 20% of the human population are. It's not like a rare or special thing, but it just means you have this innate sensitivity that's kind of turned up and heightened. So you can tune into other people, what other people are thinking, feeling. You're more sensitive to your surroundings, probably more affected by the weather and gray skies and your environment and things like this. So I always had this sensitivity. And then when I was 14, a friend introduced me to tarot cards for the first time. And they were the most amazing tool for me to start using my intuition, even when I was really disconnected from it, because I had, you know, a pretty dark time in my teenage years. And when you're going through dark times in your life, anxiety, depression, things like this, I mean, the last thing that's going to be happening is you're going to be in a deep, soulful place where you're following your inner knowing and flowing with, you know, what you love and things like this. So I was really disconnected from my intuition and tarot cards were a great gateway for me to still have that connection, still feel supported and still feel guided. I also used to do spells. Like I say this at the beginning of my book, again, Ms. Magazine, anyone around in the 90s in England remembers Ms. Magazine. They used to have spells in the back of every issue and I used to cut them out and I had this little folder that I would store them in. And no joke, I'd get five pounds a week pocket money. I would walk into Pool Town, which is where I grew up, and I'd have a little shopping list. And it would be like, I need a red candle. I need some frankincense oil. And it was so bizarre because there was no one else around me doing this. This is pre, you know, having any internet at home. We had four channels on the TV. I went to a Catholic school. My family was Christian. So it was just such an innate thing within me that I always, always had. And I've done some past life work and I believe in past lives. And when I've gone into them, it's like spiritual teacher, spiritual teacher, which, which spiritual teacher. So I'm like, oh, okay. I was just connecting with that. But yeah, I, I always had this really strong connection to it. Obviously it strengthened as I got older, 
pretty much because of the internet and because I could connect with other spiritual people, started going to events. And I realized that was my absolute calling, my passion, my purpose. And it had always been a hobby, this thing that I did on the side that I had a lot of shame about because it was weird and no one else was doing it. And, you know, everyone would have thought it was silly because in my previous careers, like I started investment banking and I went into fashion very you know, kind of normal, serious corporate type jobs. So I was never going to say to anyone, oh, I'm trying to open my third eye and I read tarot cards and like I love manifesting and all of this. But it just got to the point, like a tipping point where I couldn't deny it anymore. I loved it so much. And I, it just felt worse and worse and worse the more that I denied what I was really meant to be doing, which is why I wrote my book Living in Tune to try and help anyone else who's in that place because I don't think we're trained to necessarily follow what feels good or you know I know I literally I know your story and you said in school oh, I want to play rugby and your teacher was like no you can't do that but you had that feeling that pull oh I love it I want to do it all the time but people will gladly and often say no you can't do that maybe because they don't believe they can do it themselves or because no one else has done it yet but it doesn't mean that you can be the first one. That's already changing my view of my connection when I was younger, because you mentioned sensitive. We had a, a guest on the podcast at the end of last series who made a comment that really sort of interested me, just sort of said, oh, you know, it's all this stuff gets passed down and down and down and down. And it's up to us, the sensitive ones, to take it on. And I, and that's, that just resonated with me. I didn't go into it too much, but sort of just went, oh, because I was a little bit the same. My parents were like, you know, what's going on with you? You know, I'd watch the, the Romanian revolution when I was about, you know, yay high you're not not at all old at all and I couldn't shake it the image of these orphans and what have you and, and I would as you said I'd be in tears about it lots of this empathy sympathy but also this kind of worry and anxiety over it but a lot of guilt and the shame as well you look at me you know look at me just sat here in bed sort of it almost it might have been around Christmas time I can't remember but you know thinking about all these you know Christmas gifts and all this stuff and it just things like that were regular occurrences that's really really Interesting. The other thing you mentioned about the past life stuff is saying spiritual teacher, spiritual teacher, which all these things that sort of almost leads you somewhere in this life. We're getting fairly full on in this quite early, but we spoke to a guy called Sadhguru on this podcast. And I know from his stuff before saying that he's fully aware of his past three lifetimes. And in all three of them, he has been spiritually enlightened. And, you know, down to the finest detail, this is who I was. You check all these facts if you want. This is who I was. This is what I did. This is this. And this is why I'm here again, because my work continues and I've yet to complete this. I find that fascinating, almost like it's on its way out of you. And like you said, you can't really resist it. Do you think there's a link between that sensitivity? And then you mentioned that there was a darker stage for you, because this, you know, this is definitely correlating and corresponding with my experiences, that there, with that sensitivity comes this the, the kind of struggle with what seemed to be for me the gray area where other people were able to say, oh, that's life. Just get on with it. I couldn't sort of make that bridge. Do you think there's a link between that sensitivity, that kind of at that age and the fact that maybe some things are going to are going to push into a space of insurmountable almost? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a link. I also really believe that everything happens for a reason. That's a, a deep belief I've always had. And whether it's true or not, it's always helped me to see the positive in every situation at some point once I've processed it enough and been through the kind of hardest phase of it. 
Yeah, I think when you're more sensitive and I also think as well with intuition, I think you know somewhere in your bones, in your cells, in your soul, when you're going to do big things in the world or when you're meant to make a positive impact maybe later on in your life. And I think we innately feel that pressure of, right, I've come here on earth, I'm here to do something big or I'm here to do something good. And so I think we already come with that mission somewhere within ourselves, our body, our aura, wherever it is. And so we do have this sense of pressure within us that I know I need to do this I know I need to help people and I also think that's why some people maybe have this innate sensitivity because they're more tuned in to what everyone else is feeling what people are suffering with and I think we go through this journey of being sensitive but you know it's kind of okay then the dark side of sensitivity the shadow side which is really feeling the full range of human emotions having the full range of human experience internally And then coming out the other side of that, where you can use everything that you've learned and experienced in order to come up with solutions, in order to help people, show them a way out, advise people, because you've actually been through something similar yourself. So I always look at things through the lens of everything happens for a reason. I don't know if that's just my brain that likes to match things up and make meaning from things, but I've always believed that. So yeah, I definitely think when you're sensitive, you're more prone to go through dark times. But I also think that there's definitely the potential there for those darker times to make you so much stronger, so much wiser, and for it potentially to reveal a part of your mission, what you can do on earth to make it a better place that's also going to be incredibly fulfilling and satisfying for you as well. I definitely agree. It's it's a hell of a thing when people are talking and, and you sort of feel maybe just able to connect with a a lot of what they're saying, if they're talking about being down, you're kind of, you don't know what it's like for them, but you know, a space when you've been very, very down, you know, when it's like, I've got no option. You kind of, I feel like, yeah, okay. I recognize this. It's amazing having that scale of experiences that allows you to have that empathy and connect with people in every way. And that does feel like a huge part of wanting to be of service or assistance to others. I'm not entirely sure that can come without that suffering. I'm not sure it can come from a position of just sitting high and saying, I've had it pretty good. I know the answer. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you about how it should be. But this sometimes is how it is. You know, look, you might have people who just have an incredible natural gift for something and then just sort of say, let me coach you. It comes easy to me, but actually the power of that gift is being able to connect with the scale of, of different emotions. You mentioned also in the middle of this about having those darker times and and also saying that when you've gone through the hardest part of it or the middle part of it or the deepest part of it, what does that process of going through these things look like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely changed a lot from what I would do today and what I would do before. So today, for example, I'm much more aware of how things stay within our body, fear, stress, anxiety, trauma. So if I'm you know, really having a bad day right now, I would go to breath work. I would do a meditation. I would do some exercise. I would put a fun song on and I would dance around like a lunatic and I would get moving and I would use my body so much more. The old Liz, like before all of this, would have got really drunk at the weekend, would have then been obviously hung over the next day and would have felt even worse. Just avoidance, partying, feeling very sad in between all of that and not having a clue how to cope. And I mean, part of that was just being younger, but definitely not having the coping skills that I would have now that I found through spirituality 
and not being able to express myself. I always had intense fear of vulnerability and being able to actually say how I was feeling, what I needed, even though I've always been blessed to have a lot of you know friends and always had different networks throughout my life. I think I had a lot of shame around having emotion and my sensitivity, I suppose. I think one thing that can happen when you have intense sensitivity is you can become guarded in order to protect it or it can become overwhelming. So as a coping mechanism, you kind of shut it down. You become guarded or you go the other way and you turn it off so much that you can seem kind of heartless and not feel anything because maybe that's easier than feeling things too deeply. So yeah, definitely unhealthy coping mechanisms, unhealthy food, just, you know, toxic lifestyle essentially. Whereas, yeah, like I say, now I'd be much more concerned with moving my body, feeling into it fully, like doing the opposite of avoiding it and actually leaning into it and just being in that emotion. Because when we're not fully processing our emotions, they do get stuck within us and they're always there in some way. And it's because we've avoided ever fully feeling them, experiencing them, crying, screaming into a pillow, moving our bodies, talking to someone, whatever it needs to be. So I guess it's kind of like expression as well is, is what I would focus on more now. The word vulnerability is a funny one because it sort of comes in line massively with that sensitivity side. When I was younger, I'd definitely hide away. There was times though that I couldn't, I was triggered so badly at going to kids' parties and they would bring out the, the food and it would be something that I didn't like. And I would, that was it, bang, I was gone. You know, I'm in like absolute doom mode. I'm like, my life's ending and, and there's a, this dark, ominous kind of shadow demon out for me and it's then and that's what I feel and of course you know in the schoolyard you've got people saying oh you cry baby this or whatever but of course you're not sitting there going I don't like this food I'm gonna cry it's real that's your experience there's a reality to it and of course you sort of you hide it and you sort of do anything to avoid the vulnerability but in doing so you kind of end up hooking into a very very predictable cycle by stepping away from that vulnerability, by shielding it, by trying to conquer it even, you know, whatever you're trying to do with it. But you, you can sort of find yourself living a life that's desperately limited, but also very repetitive. Whereas that vulnerability holds, for me at least, having, as you said, turned towards it and, and stepped into it and felt it and opened to it and explored it and listened to it and all those kind of things. It's pointing you somewhere brand new as it were. And I'm really interested in this because a lot of this talk is about a kind of awakening experience, but I'm also thinking if I was a salesman and someone said, go sell an awakening experience, I haven't got that much that's going to get, you know, the young me, if I said to the young me, let me tell you how great this is. The young me is going to be like, I'm good. I'll take my pain because you're not really giving me anything there because it doesn't really give you a doing. It's not like, you know, check me out. I'm a superhero now. I can jump over buildings, which is kind of, a, I'm not that much joking there. That was a kind of view of this. You know, people talk about the enlightenment and they think immediately about people manifesting stuff out of nowhere, you know, creating stuff and miracles and, and healing and all this kind of thing. But how would you explain the power of that awakening experience for you um, um, where does it impact your life the most yeah you're so right you really can't sell it and I don't know what your story was I'd love to hear afterwards but for me it was kind of an involuntary explosion so I'd always been interested in it 
but it really kind of took off and started to rapidly accelerate. So that was in my mid-20s, and that's what I would call my awakening period, even though I'd always had the interest. It kind of really blew up, and I started being able to see things before they happened, kind of psychically, and it just really sped up. And it became such a preoccupation for me. I was drawn towards it so much that I was like, oh, I can't avoid this. And, you know, my old life started to become more and more uncomfortable. So you're so right. It's so hard to sell. And there's actually a meme that came to mind, which I wish we could show your podcast listeners. But there's this guy holding a mug and he's like, oh, you're going through a spiritual awakening. You lost all your friends and your family think you're crazy. Yay. It is like so true. And that's the hardest thing I find. Like people... And, and I don't know if this is the same for you, but I'd spent so much of my life, part of the wanting achievement was wanting recognition, wanting status, wanting people to see me a certain way. And I didn't realize at the time, this is only with reflection, to probably cover up some self-worth wounds. And so it re really required me to strip all of that away because the vast majority of people in my life and even now I go to weddings and things in England and, you know, people just really don't understand what I'm talking about. And I go easy. They're like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm an author. I'm an entrepreneur. And they say, what's your book about? And I say intuition. And then it's like a can of worms. So that's the hardest thing. Going from someone who's a total people pleaser who prioritized more than anything else how people saw me and trying to control that vision essentially so that I could feel better about myself and then having to do the total reverse in order to live authentically and just do what I love every day which then meant giving up <laughs> any kind of like approval more difficult conversations so yeah it's definitely that's the hardest part for me it's totally in tune for me. I love what I do. It's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. It's not something I want to retire from. You know, it's just me doing what I love, essentially. And I have so much passion for it, like massively. But the hardest thing is really having to kind of unhook myself from a lot of societal norms, being prepared to just kind of be one of one. And if people can meet me there, then great. And if they can't, then, you know, maybe maybe another time, but I can't sacrifice myself anymore at this point. With everything that I've gone through, everything that I've learned, I'm just not happy to do that. Whereas before, I was very happy to do that. And when you stop doing that, it requires a big shift and letting go of that need for approval and acceptance, essentially, in order to accept yourself at this point in time as a spiritual person, a spiritual entrepreneur. What was your awakening story? Did you have like a big moment or was it gradual? Um, do you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested, really, what you just said is really funny because my wife will say to me, I'll come in and be like, I'm really sorry about that. I got held back, yeah, with what I was doing. She was like, were you talking about spiritual stuff again? I was like, I was, yeah. So therefore, you, she's like, those people didn't hold you back, did they? I'm like, no, they didn't. You held them back, didn't you? I did. You held yourself back. I did, yeah. You got into it, didn't you? Yeah, I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I get it. It's what I talk about when I was playing rugby. I just talked about rugby with people. I talked about fitness and training, and I talked about my goals and my ambitions, and I hung around with people that were also trying to go there. And if they were on the edge, I'd get them to come with me. And if they weren't really going that way, we'd probably part ways. You know, that's just how it was. And now I'm the same with this. What I do find is that people, a lot of people are on the edge with this. 
And when you start talking about this, the reason that conversations go on is because, as you said, they're unlimited. And I think that's, that's phenomenal. It's really, really, <laughs> really interesting. My experience has been gradual. And I'm going to ask you about this because I think it's easy for me to lose connection with people a bit because a lot of the intensity of my life is very much shared by a lot of people, but also not so shared by a lot of people. You know, I have people coming in saying, you know, I haven't really, don't think I've really had the same kind of experiences as you, but I get this, you know, that sort of response as a person. But there's also people that say, wow, you know, I feel like I'm listening to myself or my own life when you're talking about this. But that intensity was just constant, ridiculous, you know, from day dot that I can remember just absolute mixture of passion, desire mixed with survival because of this huge relationship with fear. And the thing I was fearing was just this ominous darkness, way worse than something you could put a name to. If it was death, you'd be like, well, at least I can start to get my head around that. But it, it was beyond that. And those two things got tied up with each other. So my passion became about achieving to stave off this darkness. And of course, that intensity, it just burns, burns itself into a mess. But also at the same time, when you come up against something, you can't achieve a problem, something that's in the past. You can't change that past, but you go at it anyway. Or, you know, you hear about mortality for the first time. So I sit down and go, I'm taking this on. I think I can beat this. And, but with the anxiety behind it, you, you, a little bit later, you're in a dark place. And I think that sensitivity and that suffering has what's made the awakening experience so incredible to feel that, wow, I can be so free, as you mentioned, away from that people-pleasing. I can feel so liberated. I can touch other dimensions when I've been so intense about the physical one. But I also wonder about when you're having life, a lifestyle where, as I think maybe you never know what anyone else's lifestyle is, of course, but from people I've spoken to, they're kind of like, yeah, life's pretty good. It's a bit here, it's a bit up, it's a bit down sometimes. What does that look like for spiritual awakening when there isn't that pointed sort of guidance of suffering? You know, of that self-harm, that survival, that panic, that anxiety, where you reach that space in a corner that just says, you have no other option. You've got to turn inwards because you've tried everything else. When that's not there, is there as much of a, a kind of opportunity for it? Is it even as are people actually that interested in looking for it? Is it? is it kind of needed and what, you know, how do you see all that? Yeah, I, so I deal with this a lot actually. And what people will, they'll usually DM me on Instagram and they'll have found one of my blogs online or, you know, read my book and they're kind of at the beginning of the process. And what people always say to me is they feel really lonely. They feel really isolated. They feel like they have no one to talk to. And as I said about my story, that's kind of the most painful part of it you are probably pretty excited, like, woohoo, I can manifest, like, this stuff's real, I'm seeing 11-11 everywhere, like, everything starts kind of tying up, and it seems like everything's working for you, but at the same time, you're also experiencing this big change in your physical life, and 
that seems to be the thing that people suffer with the most is the loneliness. And so, you know, they'll reach out to me. I've got a few communities. So people want to find other people who are in that same boat and, you know, get strength from being with other people who are going through the same thing. So they often feel like they can't talk about it to anyone. And it's so exciting. It's this weird dichotomy, like you're so thrilled and excited. And yet at the same time, it's also a very, very sad time because you haven't got anyone to go through it with. When that was me, I actually moved to Glastonbury and Glastonbury is like a spiritual hub in England. A friend of mine said that there's uh, more crystal shops than places you can buy socks, which is so insanely true. Like every single shop is a crystal shop and there's like a small actual practical shop. So I moved there for a year and a half. But what happened when I went there was I realized it was kind of too much in the spiritual. And I was like, oh, hang on. There is actually still that that physical part of me, like the part of me that's an entrepreneur. I love marketing and business and, you know, some of that stuff as well. So, yeah, it's definitely a journey of exploration. And I mean, I also know people who've had a spiritual awakening and then kind of shut the door on it. And, you know, now they don't believe those things anymore. So, yeah, it can go all kinds of different ways. But do do you think that for people, because I think I had that opportunity through being so intense that, that resistance was constantly flagging up real struggle. And that struggle was, I feel, constantly making this a thing. I'm never going to leave this alone. I have no choice to not do this. I don't have a choice to not be on a spiritual path because everywhere I look, I've got problems and problems that are halting me completely. And I don't have the attitude that can leave the problem which means I've, I've got to find a bigger and better way. And of course, as you look at that, you realize the physical has limits. The bigger and better way of acceptance, awareness, is all the stuff that doesn't have you know, the limits of action, you know, the ability to respond through deeper dimensions rather than just can I physically move this problem out the way or force this answer. And because of that intensity, I feel like I've got a real momentum going. And although that momentum went deeply into another way, that was still part of the path. The momentum, the energy has been the key. But where there's not that same energy is I sort of mean in terms of people having lifestyles where they're just sort of saying, yeah, life's all right. It's good. Yeah, it's not too bad. I have some moments where I'm a bit down. So what happens for that middle ground where you're, where people might be living lives and sort of hearing this stuff and just thinking, yeah, and it's just it just sort of hits and then it's off again. You know, it doesn't really land. Do you have that in your in your world as well? Definitely. I, I call it being comfortably uncomfortable. And it's not necessarily to do with spirituality, but when people are in, say, a job or a career and they're like, Yeah, I don't I don't love it, but it's not so bad and then they stay there for like ten years. I'm like, ah, oh, you could be doing so much more, you could be doing what you actually love. So yeah, I'm very familiar with this. It's a tough one. So I do think that generally we are progressing. I also think it's happening more rapidly than ever. However, I'm also very mindful that everyone has their own individual path. And I think that we all get what we need exactly at any moment in time. And I think that, you know, we only have so much energy, time, focus, awareness. And I don't think it's for us to, you know, say what someone else's spiritual journey or path should be so yeah I do believe we're going in that direction but I'm also very aware that maybe that's just what I would like to happen and what I wish will happen and uh it's it's a tough one but I definitely think there's people who are just kind of like 
ambivalent. And I find that fascinating because I, you know, for me, I'm like, this is so interesting. Like, this is my favorite topic in the whole world. So I can't imagine just being like, eh, yeah, it's okay. Like dipping my toe in. There's no dipping your toe in. I'm like diving straight in head first. So I don't get it. But then also you have people that are passionate about like computer engineering. And for me, I'm like, no, thank you. And they, and they'd be the same. They're like, how are you not excited by this? So I think everyone has individual passions, individual things they're meant to do. So as much as it can frustrate me that everyone doesn't like exactly what I like, I, I'm very mindful that everyone has their own path. And if they want to go that way, I've always attached to Jeremy Bentham's harm principle that if you're not harming anyone or anything else, then you know, it doesn't really matter. So I always kind of live by that. And if, you know, if they don't believe in spirituality, if they're not hurting anyone, they're not being rude about it or judgmental, then, you know, they're not affecting anyone. And and so be it. I wish they would, because I think there's so much good that can come from it, a feeling of support. You mentioned manifesting, which is a great part of it. But um, yeah, maybe it's just not everyone's path in this lifetime, maybe future lifetimes. I'm really fortunate to work in a space. I coach players doing what I used to do. Um, they're all in that space where they do the kicking, which is the individual part of the team game. Now, when you promote yourself to be the individual in a team game, there's something driving that. And I think it's part of that sort of achievement thing, but there's also the responsibility, the savior archetype, the warrior archetype, the perfectionist, the leader in you, whatever it is. At the beginning, there's the openness to, let's see where I can take this. And then, down the line when you when it starts you know that gift is getting that free expression and it's really working and then the mind the ego kicks in to sort of try and own that talent and say well these people love me yeah and it's me doing it rather than actually it's my gift expressing itself it's now me making this happen and then suddenly it's like oh my god pressure fear of failure what if this what if that and that means i have people i have a willing audience because it's all about removing that obstacle to your gift I never have to worry about someone saying, yeah, all that chat you're talking about, you know, transcending your limits and relaxation into what you're doing and, f and sensitivity and the feeling of it. And the, as you mentioned, the manifestation, the visualization, the imagery, the sense of flow and just, oh, you're like, nobody says I don't want that because it's what you're crying out for. On the other hand, I think once an interesting one for me is just that idea of saying, well, hold on. And I had this in the middle of my career with injuries where you suddenly get this idea that oh my God, the surgeon's telling me I might not play again. What have I done with my career? Oh God. And I'm thinking this will be the same conversation, hopefully when I'm much, much, much older. And it's, what have I done with my life? And I think I sort of realized then that it's going to be about how fully have you lived every moment? It's not a question of what have you got in your trophy cabinet or what have you got in your, you know, your kind of material possessions it's going to be, how did you live every moment? I think that's a difficult one to avoid that as you're living, you kind of know that, as you said, you've got a limited amount of attention, focus, but also energy and therefore time. And it's kind of going. And it's always that question of how am I using this best? And I'm, I'm interested in that. I guess in that space for you, what does it mean to make the most of your time because as you know i as soon as i kick out of that full engagement and think to myself how am i using my time i always start to have a slight panic of like i'm not using it well enough but it's only because i'm asking that question that i'm feeling that panic when i'm too busy living i'm never asking that question 
I love this question so much because this is literally what my book is about. It's called Living in Tune. And for me, it's all about a feeling. So it's not about any particular achievement. It's entirely subjective. And it's about being able to flow through each day, meeting as little resistance as possible. And that lifestyle will be completely different for everyone. Right now, I've been traveling for nearly 11 months. All my stuff in England is in a storage unit. I have a suitcase. I'm in Mexico. I was just in Costa Rica for three months. And right now, my intuition is calling me to just travel, experience different places, meet different people, different cultures. I'm learning Spanish. And that feels fulfilling for me right now, but that doesn't mean it's going to be fulfilling for someone else. I also, the same as you, I have this mortality pressure where I want to make the most of my life. And I always want to look back and think, I bloody lived that. And even my early 20s, when I spent every weekend, you know, going out, getting drunk, I still look back. I'm like, I partied so freaking hard. Like (laughs) I did it properly. Mm. And that's always my goal. But Ultimately, what I want is the feeling that I have lived my life fully, that I'm not sacrificing myself, that I'm not betraying myself, I'm being the best person that I can be. And yeah, this feeling of flow, definitely, because I felt what it feels like to have so much resistance to what I'm doing and where I am. And I mean, that was what prompted me. That was what prompted this whole journey. I actually, when I was working in investment banking, I got an anxiety disorder. I didn't know what it was. I I went to the doctor because I was having these chronic headaches. And I said, oh, also my temperature is like through the roof. I'm a volcano. I can't sleep. I've got insomnia, all these different symptoms, heart palpitations. And we did blood tests. I wore an ECG for the day, had an eye test, various kind of tests. And they were like, yeah, you're fine. But he was like, have you heard of generalized anxiety disorder? And I was like, no. And I had an anxiety disorder and I didn't even realize. And the reason I had it was because my life was like a square and I was this like weird circular shape that just didn't fit in the square but I was bending myself trying so hard to be in this box that wasn't made for me I still now looking back I still believe that was for a reason but at the time it felt terrible so my ever since then it's been a journey of trying to figure out okay when when does time go faster not in a bad way but because I'm so lost in the moment it just flies what feels easy and natural when am I not betraying myself when can I express myself clearly and openly what feels fun for me and now thank goodness most days I've got to the point where I wake up literally with this zing of energy and I can't wait for the day ahead And I never understood that expression when people say, you know, do work that gets you out of bed in the morning. I never really understood what that was until the last probably two years or so when I like really got into doing it. I I, I wake up probably four days a week with a zing, this very physical feeling. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, I can't wait for today. I've got these amazing client calls or doing book writing, whatever it may be. And I'm so exciting. So it's all about that feeling of joy that feeling of more energy. I find that I'm fueled with more energy if I'm doing what I love. And when I'm out of tune, then I feel really drained. I feel down and get quite moody, bitter and uh, lethargic. So I'm always looking for this feeling of flow, having loads of energy, essentially just being my best self because you can't regret it. No matter what you're doing, if you feel that way about it, then I think you're exactly where you're meant to be. Yeah, it brings us back to what brings me back to that idea of the vulnerability when you mentioned 
trying to fit into a you know a certain shape that that is not you i think vulnerability is an interesting sign about that in that it's almost vulnerability is almost for me looking back now a way of saying that then was the kind of missing the doorway into being fully engaged and making the most of that moment i kind of came up with an idea of of what that life was to me when i was going through this state of thinking what what would be a great life i was thinking well all of me in every moment but then i realized they're the same thing so then i get rid of the moment and just went all of me that's it when you're all of you i mean how can you not be in the moment all of you is the moment the inside and the outside being perfect reflections of each other and you can't find a moment a moment doesn't move for you and this is kind of what i got stuck on was i was always looking for that black and white answer but the black and white answer is a snapshot it's it's a thing and it, as you said as soon as you have it it's out of date so it's it's almost pointless to try and have that and fit it onto this life or at least have it as such a uh, a necessary or something you insist on that life looks like your idea when life is just so much bigger it's moving it's infinite whereas that idea i always had was so small and boxed and as i got more stuck in that idea of who i was i guess and who i needed to be i just found myself like you said actually not living and the vulnerability and the movement and that openness to intuition being able to say you know I, I don't necessarily like admitting this too much, but I used to go into rugby games. I never played a rugby game my entire career after the age of about 19 fresh because I trained prepared so preposterously hard due to insecurity that I was so knackered when I actually got to the big moment. My preparation was the most self-harming thing I could have done. And everyone around me was saying, geez, you're, you're the best prepared you could be. You're like, well, actually I'm the least I've tuned myself, as you said, living in tune. I've done the opposite. And now when I come to do things like this, I do prepare, but you wouldn't know it because my preparation is just to liberate myself, to be like, right. And what that takes is trust, <laughs> huge trust. And I'm wondering, where does that sit with you? Because I guess when I said I had that fear and doom when I was younger, and I still get it now, I had a recent run-in with it for a good nine months where, you know, you suddenly realise when you look back and go, yeah, oh God, those were tough times. And then it hits you again and you think, oh God, I now remember. You know, it's, it's absolute hell, but it's distrust. It was dis it's distrust in life, which then flicks onto other people and then flicks onto everything. How much does that play in your world with, with clients and with yourself as well? So much. You have completely hit the nail on the head because I think your beliefs are basically what are supporting your experience. And if you believe that you're not supported or it's definitely going to go wrong or you're not good enough, then you're not trusting yourself. You're also not trusting there's any kind of external support, which is why being on this spiritual path, I think, can be so nice and comforting when you have that belief that you know, there is something more, there's some kind of benevolent energy force that interconnects between all things and, and provides support sometimes. Like when you have that as your experience, I think already that helps you to trust a little bit more because you're not on your own if you have that experience of support. But when you don't have that trust, and I think there's very much a mirror, something I notice is people who don't trust themselves, like really don't trust themselves, have a lot of anxiety 
often they do have this kind of damaged relationship with the universe and they can be very kind of closed off to any kind of spiritual reality and they also don't trust themselves either. I really believe that everything's kind of a reflection of us and this is something that I've just noticed. But trust is such an important part of it. And I mean, talking about intuition, if you don't trust yourself, then you're not going to trust your intuition. And it can be so quiet and so subtle sometimes. And if you're going to disregard it every time, then you're much more likely to do what everyone else is doing, what you should do, follow some kind of tried and tested formula. And that vast majority of the time, that's just going to lead to you feeling incredibly unfulfilled and lost and lonely. And it's probably just going to get worse and worse over time. Whereas when you develop that trust in yourself, the sense of safety and security, not just within yourself, but knowing that you're part of something else and that maybe it's all going to work out okay and maybe you're safe to take a little leap once in a while, then from that place, I think so many better opportunities bloom. And, uh, and once you start kind of using your intuition, you realize you can trust it. Whereas if you don't take that first step and decide to initiate beginning that relationship with your intuition and being like, okay, I'm going to try this out. And I always say it's trial and error. So for example, you may have a terrible gut feeling one day and you, you completely ignore it. You go against it and lo and behold, it takes you to this terrible outcome. So then the next time you get that feeling, once you start being aware of it, you're going to be like, oh, no, I know what happened last time. I'm going to do differently this time. So it's just like trial and error. And I think that is where the trust comes in. So if someone is listening and they want to develop their intuition, they want to have a stronger sense of trust within themselves. They want to start kind of living more in tune and having those synchronicities and following their feelings and being in that flow of life. Then just make a commitment today that you're going to start doing that and then start to notice the decisions that you make. Because when we follow our intuition, we're basically making a choice. Are we going to follow that, that little feeling, that knowing that doesn't have any evidence or proof, but it's there? Or are we just going to go with our brain when it overrides it? Are we going to do what someone else says? Are we going to follow maybe the simpler, more logical path? So it's just about starting to become aware of these decisions that we make every day and then choosing to follow our intuition and see where it leads. But when you haven't done it before, it is very scary because it's hard to trust something when you haven't done it before and you haven't tried it and you don't know there's any evidence. But the only way to get evidence is to start doing it and, and then you can build the trust from there. Yeah, th this is a huge one for me. Just what you were saying at the very beginning, it's almost we can let authority become the truth in our world as opposed to truth become the authority and that truth as you said at the, thing at the beginning is so subjective you've got to f spend all your life finding your truth because when we just take whatever the you know, the the kind of most dominant theory in the life or the culture or the society is we can follow that and and that can define us determine us and and just play out our lives for us but going on your search for your own truth and finding out what that truth is speaking about that vulnerability again, it's huge. I spent so much of my career, which is what I do very differently now, in that it was all planned. So much so that if you said, yeah, well, well, the most biggest thing for me is potential is your ability to respond. And if you say, oh yeah, I get that. So what I'd have done when I was younger is planned my responses, thinking that that's still a response. When actually your true response to your environment by allowing it all you to pick up all the sensory information to feedback with 
everything that's here and now and then watch what you do when you allow yourself to do it. Now, for me, when I was playing, what that meant was saying, come on, then let's go and see how this turns out. And now I fought that like mad. No, no, but if this happens, you'll do that, won't you? And you'll be there. Yeah, and if this happens, I'm like, geez, you can't do this forever, but you try to. But the funny thing was, my truth at that time was that as soon as the whistle went, I completely surrendered and everything just happened. And I found out my truth was that whatever happened, I was equipped, not just equipped to deal with it, but equipped to surprise the hell out of myself. And yet when I got back in the change room and I closed up again, that planning, insecure, distrusting version of me assumed responsibility for what happened on the field. Almost saying stuff like, yeah, well, you only did that because I, uh, kind of made it happen for you by suffering the hell out of myself and beforehand and there was no way out of it but later on I suddenly looked back and had so much reverence for that on the field version because I was responding that was what you said that was for me the applicational example of saying it's put up or shut up time walk it's a bit like the exam you kind of outside the exam room trying to flick through the textbook just thinking you might just get one thing to read before but you realize it doesn't matter you're gonna to have to walk into that room and it's all going to unfold at that space. And I started to question how much of my preparation was actually even helping me then. So I kind of work on the sphere now that preparation is very much about enjoying and embracing. And as you mentioned about getting up in the morning, exploring and just constantly getting interested about what you do next, but almost watching it rather than you doing it. You're almost sort of interested in watching what I do next. I'm interested in, yeah, and getting that sort of slightly distanced view of it as well. That's really, that's really, really interesting. So what do you do on a proactive basis now that you say, for example, are enjoying the space you're in? Is that momentum looking after itself and guiding you forward? Or are you really looking for new things and trying new things? Are you just following excitement and passion in a way? And if so, what are those exciting and passionate things for you? Mm, great question. And I always say that there's a big amount of importance that needs to be placed on having balance because there's these masculine and feminine energies like yin and yang. There's the flow, the ease, the receiving, but then also that can lead to kind of not doing a lot. And you also need the strategy, the doing, a bit of movement, especially when you're running a business. This is something I see a lot with spiritual entrepreneurs that I work with. They love the feminine side and then they're kind of not enjoying the masculine part of it but then the business isn't growing which is great you know if you have loads of money but not if you're struggling at the beginning and you actually need to have that momentum at the beginning to get everything moving so I'd say it's a balance I say the same about book writing as well someone actually asked me this question just like two days ago and they were like did you just let it all flow in and like catch the words was it this dreamy exercise and i was like yeah sometimes but also had a deadline so sometimes i didn't feel good and i just had to do it and i was really tired i was in a bad mood or whatever it was and i, I didn't have a choice because i had to do so many words a day to meet the deadline so it's both it's absolutely both and in terms of what's lighting me up at the moment communities I, I have so much joy in leading communities. So I have a membership community for spiritual women and I'm loving that at the moment. We have a call every week and just bringing people together and seeing people support each other 
And I did just one-to-one coaching for a while. And I mean, that's great too. I still do one-to-one coaching, but I've really leaned more into the group aspect because everyone has so much value to share with each other. And there's so much goodness within everyone's stories and experiences because something that you say on a group coaching call, even if you're not leading it, can make someone else feel like they're not alone and they're not the only person that's going through something. That is what's absolutely lighting me up at the moment, creating communities. My world was all about, here's what you're going to do on the field, more or less. And beforehand, these are your, this is how we're going to train. And it would be often like, we're going to train as we want to play. So it would make sense. You'd be doing your training and looking and going, okay, this is what it does here. With regard to a lot of the stuff that I imagine might be part of those communities and the, and the kind of work-ons of things to kind of explore, a lot of the practices in this area, whether it be awareness, mindfulness, looking into the chakra yoga as you mentioned, moving the body, all these kind of incredible things. They're very interesting for me because they go against my old self, which was when you're in the gym, you can see exactly what you're lifting and you know whether you're up by a few kilograms, down by a few, you can read your times on this and you know where you are. You can see a ball going through the post or not and you see a ball when you know and you're sort of like, I'm getting my feedback immediately. And although I'm sure that's, you know, that's been the case for me on some of these spiritual practices, but sometimes you do it and afterwards you're like, I don't know. I I don't, I've got nothing. Was that good? No idea. But there's an innate thing of saying, but that's actually it. It's happening on a deeper level, I think, than that surface of being able to turn around and be like, I just lifted that five times. Last week I did four. It's all working. Whereas now you're sort of like, I'm having a terrible week. And last week I was great. And you're like, yeah, it's all working. Yes. Oh, well, hold on. This is difficult. Do people struggle with that side of things? Because I know it it feels a bit abstract and it feels a bit almost against the the run of play as far as culture and society, this linear progression. Yeah, I think, again, it comes down to needing that proof and maybe a lack of trust. Like, is this working? Any kind of questioning and doubt is essentially a lack of trust. And The only way to kind of counteract that is to be like, this is exactly what it's meant to be. And I think growth can become really addictive as well because it can feel really good. You're outgrowing yourself, you're expanding, you're learning new things. It can kind of become a new addiction. So maybe sometimes the gift when that happens is to be like, actually, I need to just experience staying where I am right now. And maybe not everything is going to make me continue to grow or experience something physically. And maybe that is the lesson, the thing that you're meant to experience in order to grow, if that makes sense. But um, yeah, I totally know what you mean. I've done some modalities. I won't name them because I, you know, different things work for different people, but I've done some modalities and been like, yeah, didn't feel anything. Like, you know, it was nice. But then other people have done the same things and they did work for them. So yeah, I'm just up for exploring whatever, trying everything. I find people so fascinating. I love that people have different passions within spirituality. You know, people do sound healing, Reiki, coaching, or like, you know, all kinds of different things, psychics. And I just find it fascinating. I love exploring people's passions and seeing that passion within them. I think that's, yeah, that's interesting. For my growth in the early stages of this was when anyone I spoke to or read about, I'd be thinking, I need to get that people this people can see auras i need to see some auras and they're like colors 
I need colors and Reiki and healing and heat. And you're sort of thinking, why am I not doing that? What am I? And this is very much that old mind that's almost holding you back from anything that comes. But also um, this is back to the idea about how to sell this very difficult because from the language perspective that we used to, in terms of how you'd sell anything from a marketing perspective, what do I get for this? We were kind of like, right, you, we can't explain what you get because if we do, we're kind of pointing you away from it. It's just for me, and I'm wondering how you might describe your growth. How do you track when you said before, okay, you notice when your moods are up and down, but how do you track and how do you connect to that? I would say when, and it's happening a lot at the moment, actually, as I'm traveling, I feel like it's definitely accelerated my growth for this year. And it's when I look at pictures of myself, like three months beforehand, and I'm like, who is that person? So that is how I track my growth. Not that I intentionally do that, but it just happens when you look at pictures from a few months beforehand and you're like, wow, I was so different then. And I've not always had that. But when the growth is going faster at certain points in your life, it just seems to happen so insanely fast. And it's like that was so recent in linear time. How can I be such a different person? So I'd say that is how I kind of track growth. But when you said about being a deep thinker, essentially, I'm exactly the same. So I'm always trying to find the meaning in things. Or if I get triggered, obviously, you know, it doesn't feel good. But I'm like, why doesn't it feel good? Where in my body doesn't it feel good? What from childhood is this like pressing upon? What haven't I heard? So I'm always like constantly thinking about it. But it's a joyous exercise for me. It's not from a place of like fear or anything like that. I just really enjoy the process because I've healed you know, various things before. So I'm like, oh, this is good. Like I can do this when something triggers me or, you know, I get old feelings of unworthiness or imposter syndrome or anything like this coming up. Before, I didn't think I even had names for stuff like that. So I'd just be down in the dumps, probably sabotaging myself. Whereas now it's like, oh, okay, I feel awful. So what's going on here? How, how can we deal with this? And I know that it's coming up and I'm going to heal it. I'm going to sort it out. And then I'm excited for what's on the other side of that. And I want to touch on what you said as well about how do you sell it? How do you get people into it? And my story of kind of going into my big awakening was actually through The Secret. And I know you've interviewed the author of The Secret early on in this podcast. I listened to that episode when it came out because that was the book that like triggered my awakening. And I've actually talked to a lot of people who said the same thing. The reason it does that is because it does sell spirituality because it's a very physical, tangible result. It's like you can manifest things, money or, you know, houses, cars. And, you know, whether we like to admit it or not, that, you know, all of us are humans. We want resources to survive. We all have that part of us. You know, we need money and things. So and especially when you're not on the spiritual path yet, maybe that's more appealing, perhaps. So that was what got me into it. And that's what gets so many people into it. But it's like a tripwire. It's like, oh, yeah, I want the cut. Whoa, okay, I'm in spirituality. And then like, that's it for the rest of your life. So that is kind of the way I think that people often do get into it is the shiny manifesting part. And then once you get into it, if it's something that appeals to you, you realize there's so, so much more like an infinite, infinite universe to explore. But often it is appealing to those human instincts, those material needs and desires, which can pique people's interest initially. 
I think in a way playing that game is a great way to do it. Like you said, it's in a way, even the same thing about having the shiny objects is the same way that I was sold it. Even if I sold it to myself as the resolution of fear it was to just a different movement. Instead of happy to happier, I was going from unhappy to less unhappy was my part of buying into the spiritual side of things, you know? So, so I kind of, I think, yeah, that playing that game is always a good way to start, but then you realize that, like you said, that tripwire leads you to realize that, oh God, there's a ton of work in order to be able to hold your attention, well, to reclaim it for a start from all the places it's going habitually and, you know, through the the fear side, through the the, the unworthiness and the disconnect from your, your core center and to reclaim that energy and then hold it upon something. I have a really interesting relationship with memory. I just, when I used to watch we'd play a game and then they'd show the video on the Monday and they'd be going through all the stuff that maybe we didn't go so well and what we're going to do. And I'd feel humiliated while I was watching it because that player on the field of two days ago is me, the same me that sat in this chair looking at it. And so when that player on the field does this thing that doesn't work out, this player here sat on the seat two days later is going, oh my God, my heart's going, my face is going red because I am that me. Whereas now, I mean, we're talking instantly. You take a photo and you sort of look at the photo and go, oh yeah, that's a good photo. And I'm sort of thinking, I've got this thing about, that's not me. Yeah, that's not me. That past is memory. I'm here now with the memory. Yeah, I'm not there. And I've got this really big disconnect. I find it almost amazing to think that part of me used to think I wanted to be the same me the whole way through my life. I wanted to have that same feeling of strength and sort of being needed and 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 you sort of go it'd be a travesty I think for me a little bit if I was to recognize myself when I'm 80 to look back and go there's the same me when I was 15 I think you know that growth is a really big thing but with that disentangling myself from that identity of everything I've been through is making me now but allowing this freedom to be me now my memory is getting more open and as a result my imagination's coming back and I'm starting to be able to do those things, I think. Hold your mind. Think of something that's great and I can go there. When I was younger, if you said, think of something that's great, I'd start to go there and something would come in the way of it. Probably saying either, well, that's never going to happen or you can't have that or this, or it would just go to something that I was worried about. Whereas now I think that that kind of work you're talking about, it almost as a natural, I don't know, spin-off, you can't help but dream more. As you mentioned, get up in the morning and have excitement but that's such a big part of this manifesting thing. Can you explain, you know, with regard to the manifesting, how you see it and what's the work involved in it at that deeper level, rather than just sort of saying, okay, I want you to sit there and visualize this every day for this time. So what I've actually found, I think we all start at the law of attraction level and we're like, like attracts like, I want to manifest this. What I found doing this work with people is it's actually your beliefs which dictate the outcomes that you get as kind of external reality being a mirror for what you expect to happen because when we believe something inherently we're actually holding that out in the universe in terms of our energy so firmly like this is truth this is reality the without maybe even trying that tends to be what shows up like a self-fulfilling prophecy so when you have positive supportive beliefs that you truly believe that tends to you know help you and reflect back to you whereas when people have 
beliefs that aren't supportive, then they tend to show back to them as well. And then what happens with our energy is the amount of kind of fuel, energy, focus that we put towards those particular beliefs will accelerate how quickly that process happens. So when you, you truly believe, okay, I am, I'm totally on the right path in my career. I'm doing exactly what I'm meant to be doing. When you add kind of fuel to that in terms of feeling really good about it, visualizing, doing all those things, having high energy, feeling grateful, that's just going to accelerate that process, which is already kind of happening because you truly believe that you're on the right path. So I actually think it's the belief work, which is most important. And this is what can sabotage people's manifestations, because if you have conflicting beliefs like I, I'm not worthy or, you know, people don't like me. And then you also are trying to say grow a business and put yourself out there online. If you think you're not worthy and people don't like you, you're going to be sabotaging yourself and holding yourself back. You're not going to be as authentic on camera and video and, and maybe not selling fully in the way that you would need to in order to get people to buy. So these kind of conflicting beliefs can sabotage us. So I think it's really digging into that belief work because there are expectations for reality. We hold them so firmly because our beliefs can feel like truth to us. And I even wonder sometimes with the spiritual stuff, for example, synchronicities and like small miracles that happen every day. And I'm like, how are these not happening for everyone? And sometimes I'm like, is it just because I believe in them that they show up? And if you don't believe in them, then they don't happen or are they not noticing them? I'm not too sure, but I definitely find that our beliefs affect our manifestations very much because of course the way we act, the things that we do, that's going to affect our manifestations from a physical point of view. But energetically, our reality is going to show back to us what we believe to be true about ourselves and true about reality as a whole. In terms of that belief work, um, because when you said I'm not worthy, there's a lot in that. You know, we don't as children sort of at the age of about six suddenly just go, you know what, am I going to choose to feel worthy or not? I'm going for the not version. You know, it's it's already, and I find some of the stuff so interesting is that we I talk about it is that we've made conclusions already according to, you know, what we've seen and what's been told to us. But actually a large part of the conclusion is made emotionally by the way that we react to something. And that itself is almost concreted in. You know, if you react this way to something, it immediately it validates whatever the idea of that thing must be. And that, if we don't address it, like we said, from a traumatic perspective, later down the line, we're like, why can't I feel okay about this it's like well that understanding has been embedded in you know emotionally just from the fear and like I said this fear in my life has been something that reveals itself every time I have a crisis moment it releases into some new understanding as a part of a message and the answer is always relax <laughs> trust you know it's always that but I'm interested yeah you know, that that belief work what does that entail what do you have people doing in order to change those limiting beliefs or at least you know be able to examine them yeah so with beliefs the way that you change them is by repetition so we learn everything through repetition the same is true for beliefs the issue with changing a limiting belief is you have to repeat the new belief to the point where it basically outdoes the old belief which like you said could be so entrenched if you've believed something for your whole life it's like embedded deep in there but the way that we can 
like override that with a new different belief is through repetition. When we say things out loud, our brain and our ears will pay more attention because we have thoughts all day, but we don't say them all out loud. So whether we realize it or not, it's been found that actually we register what we speak out loud in our brain more than just thinking it. So what I do is I will write out a new statement, say they usually start with I am, funnily enough, obviously on the I am podcast, I am, say, confident if you're trying to work on confidence. I am 100% confident in myself. So you want to repeat it, write it out again and again. Then you speak it out loud again and again. Record yourself speaking it out loud. Play it to yourself. And you also want to add the emotional elements. So you said about the emotions that come from you know negative beliefs, for example, painful beliefs, like I'm not worthy. So you also need to override that and you want to feel in your body. So it's not just about the words themselves, but I describe it as letting the words sink in to your body. So I literally get people to imagine the words. I am 100% confident soaking in through every layer of their being, feeling that embodiment. And when you actually sit with that for, say, three minutes, it feels really, really good. So you're adding that physical element, that emotional element. As we know about memory, we remember things that have emotion attached to them. If it's just words, you kind of forget it. If something has a strong emotion, good or bad, that's what sticks in memory. So you want to attach a good positive emotion to it. You want to repeat it regularly. And over time, it will just start to sink in, become a little bit more natural and normal. But have grace with the process and also it requires a belief that you can change because some people don't believe that it's even possible to change. So then you also have that belief to fight with. You have the other belief you want to change, but they also believe that it's not possible to change. So that can be another obstacle as well. So really coming at it from an optimistic point of view as much as possible, being open and just sticking with it because we learn through repetition, emotion, attaching emotion to it. And basically dedication to the process of this is going to be my new reality. This is how I want to feel. This is the belief that is going to serve me best. And this is what I choose to be my new truth and my new reality. There's a real power, I think, to that affirmation and that feeling and that and that truth, if you like, in real time as well. And so I one of the things I find quite interesting is getting home at the end of the day, if you if you've been out work, you've been doing whatever and, and flopping down the sofa and going, oh, rather than doing that work throughout the day, when you just get triggered into a bit of stress and you kind of go, ah, and then when you get to the home, you're like, what should we do? But because you, you're sort of in real time, you get to the sofa and go, oh my God, what a stressful day. Whereas actually, if you're always picking up your stresses in that awareness as quickly as possible and being able to say, oh God, I'm feeling a bit yeah, I can see I'm getting a bit stressed. So let me just release my shoulders and just look at my breathing and just feel my feet on the floor and just, hmm. And suddenly you're stressing and healing together throughout the day rather than stressing work and then healing life at home. So from bed, kind of like, that's my healing. Oh God, here we go. As soon as I put the, the suit on or whatever it is for me, you know, it's like, oh, here we go into the stress. And I have that with, you know, and it would have been me as well that when something doesn't go as you wish and you get that old familiar feeling of, oh my God, you know, whatever. I kind of used to think of it as, hold on, this is what I'm handing forward onto my future me. Now, if I can just redefine this by standing here and thinking, let me just have a look, see if this is actually as bad as I think it is. Oh, hold on, nothing's happening. 
let me see if I can actually smile in this moment. Oh gosh. So it's not as bad as this. And the future you's going, nice work. Keep that coming. You know, give me back my freedom. And I think that's one of the things sometimes when you someone someone kicks a ball and it doesn't quite go where they want to go. I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah. They want to hurry off, get another ball, get it down, get it right, you know, quickly clear it. And it's all this hurry and urgency. So it's like, right, you're going to walk to get that next ball slower than you've ever walked in the most relaxed way. Just to redefine it that it's kind of like, no, I'll choose. And not not that I have to now do it slowly, but at least I realize I can choose how I want to be and that this doesn't have to define me. But for me, that's still an interesting one in terms of that level of awareness, because I can go to a, a dinner where I might have to have a black tie on and I always struggle in my stomach at the end of it. I never digest my food. And I'm always there thinking, no, I feel good. I'm fine. But every time I do it, I'm like, oh my God, what's wrong? You know, what is it in me that can't let go? What is it that's so intense? And with this in mind, I wonder if when I say about my growth a little bit as well you mentioned about looking back at yourself and I love that it's a really powerful one for me it's it's sort of just seeing whether I'm in that space of you know is this how I want to be right now if I can keep checking in on myself to be like okay yeah you is are you actually living your life or is your your old sort of habits and conclusions living it for you and that awareness I think how much of my day I spend aware I think for me has changed everything and I realized looking back that I think habit just ran my life and I had equal parts belief that I deserved to achieve what I wanted. And I had equal parts belief that I didn't. And that was the conflict of my life. Is Where do you sit on awareness then? And again, as a salesman, yeah, how do you sell something that people are like, yeah, I'm aware of myself or whatever, you know, what, what do you do to train your awareness as well? Oh, wow. Again, big question. And I think the answer for how to train it is, prioritizing spending time with yourself, which can be so hard to do because people are so busy these days, especially with, you know, kids, housework, job, maybe a side hustle. So when you're in that place, how can you possibly have that awareness? Because a lot of people actually have high functioning anxiety and don't even realize when they find it hard to sleep at night, they're buzzed, they're stressed. Like a lot of people are actually in this state of constant fight or flight and don't even realize it. And so when you're just battling through each day, it, it can be very challenging to be aware. So one way that I suggest like tackling this, because I was totally in this place once when I was in my fashion career, you know, I'd be working till 9, 10 p.m. at night and then have to go in at like 7 a.m. It was just, you know, not great. And I didn't have any time. So what I did was I stopped listening to the radio in the car on the way to and from work. So at least then when I was driving, I wasn't listening to the radio and someone else talking. At least that was my time to just reflect and think, walking the dog, exercise. It doesn't have to be a sitting still meditation to reflect. It could be a moving meditation, going for a run, a walk, yoga, whatever your favorite exercise is. So it's really taking those time pockets in the day that you can to be with yourself, reflect and tune into yourself as much as possible. And again, if possible, unhooking from thinking about this is the to-do list, this is what I need to do next, and instead being still, because I think that's when we get the most clarity, when we're not trying to force realizations or force our intuition to come through, they often can come through just kind of like a light bulb moment. 
And, you know, that's what happens with intuition a lot of the time. It just comes in, but it will only make its way in if your head isn't so full of other stuff. So I think awareness is all about relationship to self at the end of the day. It's an excavation. I don't think it ever ends as long as you're alive. But there needs to be some kind of space and time in order for that process to happen. So whether that's a spiritual practice every single morning that I do, you know, I do journaling and uh, and a little meditation, or, you know, if you don't have time for that, then where can you make those small changes? Cooking dinner, again, if you're the only one in the kitchen when you're cooking dinner, that's another time that you can just kind of quieten down your mind, reflect, or just, you know, nothing, hold it with nothingness and see if anything comes in. Tune into your body. How are you feeling? Finding that time to create a deeper relationship with yourself is essentially what awareness is, is having that understanding of yourself, how you respond to things, how your body feels, what triggers you. That is all about your relationship with yourself and having that awareness, I think. It's interesting when we do have that time, how much we'll do to cover it up. You wake up in the morning and and the first thing you do is maybe reach for your phone. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's amazing when you sort of say, oh, I don't have time to do this. It's like, <laughs> well, because you sit down in a room where there's no TV and you're like, well, this is boring. You know, like, <laughs> and, oh, I better put some music on or I'll get my phone out and watch this. And, look at it. and of course, the difference there when it's excitement and passion and it's like enriching your life and you can't wait. And there's this, obviously, this innate drive that maybe there's something waiting for you there to whatever, to, to take you to wherever you need to be. But we do cover that space up hugely because I think it's uncomfortable and I think that's powerful. I think also the other thing is, is that sometimes maybe it's, it's not great company we keep when, when we do listen to ourselves in this stage. You're like, geez, if we, weren't, if we weren't together, you and me, you know, I'm not even sure we'd be friends. If you weren't me, you know, we wouldn't be friends. And it's, I think the beauty is then when that relationship, as you said, changes with awareness and, and the, the, the ability to respond kicks in and suddenly you, you become a really good teammate you know not one that says yes to everything or tells you you're doing great all the time but one that's always edging you just into that beautiful uncomfortable space but also massively soothing and supporting you when you're you're too far into that discomfort space and allowing you to just be you but also you know follow your your dream like that intuition I guess in a way it's your higher voice speaking to you but what an awful awesome sort of opportunity that is but again all the manifesting thing for me it's so powerful but at the same time when you get there and you go wow that happened for me there's not actually that much in the thing when you get it it's not the point I think the point of the manifesting is to become enamored by this power we have as a creative force and to tune deeper into it I don't know if that makes sense for you have you had I mean when you were you chasing things when you were younger that was an end result, a destination? Absolutely, yeah. And I think you're right. It was, I did have the high from it, but it was for the wrong reasons. It was, oh, I feel like that's validated me. That's proved I'm worthy or successful or whatever it may be. I think now what I get out of manifestation is being awed by the fact that it's even possible. So it's, less the thing I'm just like I can't even believe that this is what I wrote down like for example for 
maybe three years, I said I do morning journaling every single morning. And I would I write I am lists all the time. And I wrote, I am a Hay House author. I am a Hay House author. That's my publisher. And I wrote this for like three years. And then eventually I got a book deal with them. I mean, they kept rejecting me, but I kept going with them. And then eventually they gave me a book deal. And then one day it was like, oh my God, I am a Hay House author. I am. And like, that's what amazes me now is the fact that you know, and it often is what I've written at some point will be my reality. And you have that moment of, huh, it's not even about the thing itself. It's the fact that you can create it, which is so mind blowing and amazing. And why I just want to tell everyone about it. And I guess is the selling point of spirituality, like we talked about that tripwire, because it's pretty incredible that you can create what you want. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I guess that's that's a brilliant sort of place to be. How important I had the thing with the worthiness, not feeling worthy or deserving. But when you realize, like you said, you get that one bit of evidence that you can create whatever it is you want by simply going deeper into who you are. And then you think, well, geez, if this is available to me and if I can see it once, it's very difficult to not feel worthy when you realize that all of this has been afforded you, this amazing universe sort of bringing things into your life for you so easy to focus on that negative and say, well, this didn't happen according to the way I needed it to happen. And when I needed it to happen, it didn't happen. But it's like, yeah, well, just trust more in the universe and see how it can happen, how you don't expect it to happen, you know, and just allow it to come about. But in those negatives, we can form that opinion that, you know, the universe is against us. It's very easy. And if we, like you said, is the beliefs we have that that's the case, we'll go looking for those and we can form a really good story. And everyone can give a load of great examples about how stuff has gone against them in the most amazing ways. But actually, I think it's equally and probably more so there's huge stories for saying, isn't it just impossible, impossible to fathom how that can come about when you look back at uh, that all these cooperative components can just align for you. People can come from thousands of miles away and sit in your path just to deliver you a short word that can spring you into action. It's difficult to sort of to challenge your worthiness when you see that these things are available. And in in all who we are, I think it's it's really really powerful. You've mentioned about traveling. If you don't, if it's not too personal, a question: What what sort of things are you interested in doing with your work? What, what sort of ambitions and goals do you do you have? for your work do you have them you know these things that you would you would sort of write down as well are there bigger sort of things in there about what you'd like to do with your your life at the moment yeah definitely so a big goal I have is moving to California that is something that I've definitely been manifesting I love clear blue skies I, I go all the time so that's something I'm manifesting and with my career for some reason it's to be a New York Times bestseller and I've had some crazy synchronicities with this like my I was staying in Lisbon in Portugal with my friend and we were staying in you know the same apartment and then one moment her alarm on her phone just started going off and she went over and she was like what the hell and she had a reminder on there for her because she's also got a book that was old from like months ago and it said I, I am a New York Times best-selling author but she hadn't had it on and then when we were together it just came up on the phone and it was just so weird and random and I was like what the heck so that's definitely something I'm manifesting and just continuing to grow what I'm already doing I feel totally in tune with 
what I have and my communities. Like, like I said before, like my sacred sisters community, I'm loving at the moment and just, just growing that just more of the same. What about you? I think very similar, more, more uncovering what's exciting to me and passioning and, and, and I'm most passionate about right now and more following it and then more uncovering more of it and more following it. And again, it's sort of starting to feel like another good definition for not a bad life. You know, just kind of tuning into, geez, what would I really like to do? And then following it in every moment. Because I think that's kind of a key thing is that my old message was it's all suffer, 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 and then achieve and joy. But the joy kind of isn't really there. And the suffering kicks in very quickly, but it's suffer, suffer, joy. Whereas actually the route I found through a bit more of the manifestation side has been follow passion excitement leads to more opportunities to do more of what you're exciting excited by and passionate about which leads to more of that and then it becomes quite a large part of your life it's very similar to the story you're telling now about what it is that you do in your life it's like that seems to be how it also can work you know in terms of when you feel that challenge you're strangely even excited and curious about the horrible challenge so then you get into that and then all of a sudden you're you're in that space where years can go by where you think this is amazing I'm loving my life and how grateful do I feel just to have this opportunity so I think yeah that's it for me is is to just keep using every challenge to reveal something bigger and deeper tune into what I to, to a more intuitive sign of what I feel excited about I'm not, I'm not someone that ever dances but I find myself dancing all the time now just I've got a young four-year-old daughter and just dancing. And it's something that Aww. pays you back immediately. You don't dance so at the end of it you can go, I feel better now. It's the dancing that feels good. It's immediate. Mm -hmm. So things like yeah. that, I'm finding it just expressing me and I'm starting to enjoy kind of, I had to do a thing at the weekend where I was given a monologue. I've never been that good in front of a camera and I was given a monologue and to stare at four people I know pretty well but have never seen me do that. And I could see in their eyes they're feeling a bit awkward for me. And I was, I was sort of staring, literally staring into their eyes, feeling this kind of awkwardness. But there was just a tweak of like, come on, come on, go there. Go into the vulnerability and just and be what it is you're so scared of being. And try and you know, do this fully, you know, like go for it. And you sort of just go, I'm going, I'm going for it. I'm going to be like a thespian now. I'm going to go for it. And delivering this thing and at the end of it, one of the guys said, that was really good. And I was kind of like, oh, geez, you know, like things like that are lighting up my life. It lasted three minutes. But you're, you're thinking, this is, wow, this is big enough for me that used to be cup finals and this and, and trophies. But now you're like, no, no, just that little challenge and standing on the edge of it and then saying, come on, let's go. Let's face the vulnerability. That sort of stuff is, you know, is, is where I'm sort of, like you said, that's lighting me up at the moment as well. I love that. You're so right with the dancing. I have a playlist on YouTube called Crazy Dancing. And if there's like a really fun song that I hear, then I'll save it on there. And the, the way I got into doing that, and I closed the curtains, by the way, shut all the doors so it's just me and I could just look like a lunatic. The way I got into that was actually inner child work. And I realized that when I was a little girl, like you said, I used to love dancing. For some reason, little girls in particular seem to love it. I've got five nephews and nieces. And girls just love dancing. And then when you get older, you lose it. And, you know, you dance in the club and it's about what do you look like? So actually going back to that and like you say, just doing it because it feels good in the moment. It's not exercise. It's not anything else. It's literally just fun. 
And then the other thing me and my husband do is we hold hands and we skip. Like we skip down the beach, we skip down the road. And it is so funny that you're not even thinking about who's driving past or walking past because it's hysterical. Because again, you don't skip as adults, but when you skip, it actually feels really, really good and brings that joy and laughter as well, which is so important because I think life in general and even in spirituality, like it can get so serious. And actually one of the best things that you can do to feel good and raise your vibration and be in the moment is to have fun and laugh and and be in joy. I think that's something that we can easily forget. Yeah, definitely. I was, I was at a, a play park type thing with our little one and it's the same thing, you know, it's, it, they're saying adults can go on this stuff as well. And you can see everyone kind of is like, Oh, I'd love to. And then you just say, go, <laughs> go on the big slide. I don't have that thing when you get to the bottom of the slide and you see other adults sat on tables eating and they're looking at you that you have to feel slightly ashamed that you're, having childish fun but to actually get up and be like well I used to think you know what face should I put on when I see them I'll put on that kind of oh I'm only doing this just for my daughter type face but you're like no 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 I'm like I'll just be whatever I am I'm like I'm loving that yeah I love this sort of thing I think Mm -hmm. yeah I think that the dancing thing's an interesting one because for the flow of performance and everything I kind of feel like there's a there's a rhythm and a tempo and a music that's being played in every moment and tuning into it as you mentioned tuning into it finding a way to move that includes whatever mood you're in that includes whatever's happening around you there is a a link there that is a kind of a music that's playing and if you can fall in line with it and move to its its beat and in its tempo it feels phenomenal and i think that's kind of even disappointment and sadness and and those things they have a they have a beat to them and you can still find that beat in your, as you said, and express that sadness and, the, and the, whether it's crying or whatever. And I think it's so much to do with what other people are thinking that keep you out of that beat. There is no way of, you know, I don't think there's, there is probably a music to pleasing others and, you know, and, and whatever they're thinking. It's just not a nice one. It's not one that you, you dance well to. And I, I sort of feel that that's been a real relaxation in my life and still finding those moments as well when you do come across stuff and you think this is right on the edge of my challenge this is right on the edge of my challenge you kind of go well yeah that future you's looking at you saying go on go for it you know because it'll do me wonders as well you know it's, it's empowering me in my later life I think to face these challenges now I don't want to take any more of your time. I appreciate it. I've been way over and I'm sure you have so many more countries to travel to <laughs> areas to go, but it's uh, been so cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's brilliant. I think uh, I love the idea of your communities and, and what's happening there. I can only imagine how that can spread and grow and, and shape. And also uh, I love the fact that you have such a spiritual grounding, but also as well within that have these individual personal goals, which as you said, is all about achieving that balance. I think that's one of the hardest things, I think, to marry together. But it sounds like that's something that, you know, is coming a bit more simply to you. Yeah, it's so funny you say that because I've been working with a messaging coach, actually. And that's what we've been talking about. And she was like, this is your special skill, balancing the masculine and the feminine. And it was something that I always struggled with. And I was like, where do I fit? I'm both. I'm in between everything. You know, people are either this or they're that. And now I'm like, oh, actually, no, this is like an innate gift that I have, but I think inherently we do all have that balance, but sometimes we feel safer maybe being in what I call our feminine energy, like more in the the flow or more in the masculine, like the hustle, go, go, go. 
And when one way has damaged us, for example, we hustled too hard, we can swing into the other way too far. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, a balancing act, definitely. Well, I, I wish you all the success in everything you're doing. I'm sure I have no doubt that things will unfold as they're supposed to and that they'll all uh, take care of themselves. So it's been a, a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and all your energy and all that you do and all the very, very best. Thank you so much. So that's it for another episode of I Am. It's brilliant to be sharing this unfolding experience with you all. If you'd like to get in touch with either me or the guest, then all the information you need is in the show notes. I welcome all and any feedback. I really want all of you to have a hand in guiding the feel of this show and the path of the conversation as well. So just keep them coming in. And until next time, I'm Johnny Wilkinson, and this has been I Am. This show is brought to you by Max Creative, The executive producer is Megan Hill-Smith. Assistant producer is Alex Macy. 